Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Welcome back to another episode of The Glittering Bell Jar. My name is Valerie, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Brie. How's it going today, Brie? Hi, Valerie. I'm good. Things are going well today. It is 1,000 degrees outside, and I know I've said that before, but I just had no idea. It is 100 degrees here in uh, Durham, North Carolina, so I'm just hiding out uh, in my air-conditioned room, and I'm good, though, because I have air conditioning. What about you? Good. I'm good. I look forward to the feedback at some point when somebody's listening to this in the winter and they're like, why do they keep talking about how hot it is? And it's like, well, if you live in a place that gets hot, it's the number one thing you think about. (laughs) It's true. It controls everything. Makes me miss the West Coast. Yeah, me too. Except uh, I'm good. I'm good. I just got back from a trip. Um, So while we're doing daily episodes, we have managed to work our workflow around me taking a trip. And I was out west, and they're already getting hit with wildfire smoke. Wow. So, yeah, um, it is going to be another bad summer of smoke yet again. And it's hot everywhere else, so it's like, that's that's just what happens. <laughs> the planet is hot. We're hot on it. Yeah. It's so depressing, though. Uh, yeah. I'm good, though. I'm rested. I feel rested. I uh, have been working to get caught up on work, and now I am you know, back in it for a little while. I'm going on another trip, actually. We plan to release a podcast somehow in a month when I have two big trips. So it's been busy in my house. (laughs) It's kind of how we do it, though. I feel like it never fails. Yeah, yeah. I'm only traveling 20 of the 30 days we have podcast episodes coming out. If you're listening to it live, that is the power of technology. We can schedule things so that you never miss an episode. (laughs) Yes. Gotta love it. Well, cool. Yeah, so we are, as a reminder, if this is your first time listening, welcome. We are doing chapter 12, I believe, today. So we are past the halfway point in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. And when I say halfway point and chapter 12 and episode 19, you might be getting confused if you're doing the math in your head, because if we were on episode 12, chapter 12, that would make sense, except we are reading it backward. So if you are joining us for the first time, I actually recommend going back and starting at the beginning of the season. Each episode this season is just 15 to 25 minutes long. We've run along a couple times. Sometimes we run short. Uh, not, I think only once we run short. We obviously get to talking and we have a good time. But yeah, it'll make a lot more sense if you just start at the beginning and work your way to where we are. And there'll be new episodes by the time you get here, unless you just manage to listen to all of them in one go, which is, uh, thank you. <laughs> so with that, we will just jump right in. Uh, Brie is going to take us through a synopsis of the chapter, and then we will discuss. So whenever you're ready, Brie. Chapter 12, Silver and Opals. It's October and it's extremely cold. Dumbledore has gone and left, leaving Harry feeling slightly abandoned. They head to Hogsmeade in the brutally cold wind, stopping by Honeydukes and the Three Broomsticks, where they run into Mundungus, who was caught with items he nicked from the Black House. Despite cornering him, he managed to get away. After drinking away his sorrow, the big three head back to Hogwarts, where they see Katie Bell flung up into the air with her arms spread out and her eyes wide while she began screaming. Hagrid is able to get her to the hospital and Harry grabs the package which she was holding, containing a necklace that Katie had accidentally touched. 
Despite his suspicion that Malfoy was behind the attack, Professor McGonagall sent them back to their common room after explaining exactly what happened. Yep. And as usual, I'll read the last sentence of the chapter since that's what we always read first since we're reading it backward. I have to read a little bit more than the last sentence as usual. Since when has Malfoy been one of the world's greatest thinkers, asked Harry. Neither Ron nor Hermione answered him. So actually, yeah, that's funny is uh, a lot of this chapter is focused on, and I think pretty interesting, the confession that Harry makes to Professor McGonagall when he realizes that Dumbledore is not at the castle, which is to confide in her that he believes Malfoy is behind all of this, which he is. And Harry is 100% right on basically every part of this hyper, mm-hmm. like, theory he has. And nobody, none of the authority people in authority actually listen to him. They believe him, maybe, but they don't listen to him and act on it in a way he thinks they should. Well, he's not exactly right. So the first thing I had written down was that Harry, like Snape, chooses his prejudice and like won't let up. He does have a prejudice towards Malfoy, literally saying that he doesn't think that Malfoy is smart when Malfoy is smart. He purposefully put that necklace, planted that necklace in a way that it would never actually get to Dumbledore. And so I think that although he is on the right track, I mean, he's wrong about the fact that Malfoy is, you know, dumb, where he's actually not dumb. And he's actually probably a very talented wizard. If you think about the duels they've been in, they've been close calls. It's not like Harry freaking just won immediately. They've been close calls. And it wasn't the necklace that he saw Malfoy buying, right? It would have been the vanishing cabinets. And that's why he couldn't walk out of Borgen and Burke's was because, um, yeah, he was buying the vanishing cabinet, not the necklace. Wait, so you said something that confused me. You think Malfoy placed the necklace this way so that it wouldn't make it to Dumbledore? Yeah. Dumbledore even said that. Uh, I mean, what would be the point of Malfoy doing it then? Because he wants it to look like he's trying and he's doing half-hearted attempts. Oh, I don't think so. I I I think Malfoy is trying very hard. He's just not good at it. He doesn't actually know how to access Dumbledore. So he tries a few different things that going through intermediaries that don't work. At the end of the book, though, Dumbledore even tells him, he talks about how you knew that this would never get to me. Uh, I don't know that he says that. I don't remember that anyway. I think he says it seemed like you weren't even trying. And, and Malfoy's like, I absolutely was trying because he's going to kill me if I don't do this. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think he was trying. I think that Katie was under orders to give it to Dumbledore. Now, Malfoy, uh, two things. Malfoy doesn't have enough information to successfully reach Dumbledore. And then Harry also doesn't have enough information to correctly assess Malfoy. It's like Harry is looking at an or feeling an elephant. He can tell it's an elephant, but he can't quite put all the pieces together because he does know. I mean, he's right. Malfoy does buy the necklace and give it to Katie to to attempt to reach Dumbledore. And he is trying to, I guess he doesn't know who he's trying to attack, but he's well aware that Malfoy is doing something. He just doesn't have all the pieces to put it in together in a way that people will believe him. Yeah, but even so, Katie wouldn't have made it past Filch. So, and Malfoy knows that. I mean, does he know that? We know things are getting into the school. We know things are getting in because the love potion that Ron ends up getting got snuck into the school as disguised as something else. Yeah, I guess that's fair. But I feel like a cursed item, that would be pretty big to get into the school. I don't know. I mean, unless you uh, confunded Filch or something at the door. Like, we don't know the full order of... uh, imperious operations like i mean i'm not saying i'm not saying malfoy thought it out that far because he wasn't even there that's the thing is like he wasn't even he didn't even start this he imperious rose murda who imperious katie so it's not exactly the most well thought out plan which is why i agree with harry at the end like malfoy is not doing a good job of coming up with plans but he's also struggling with the vanishing cabinet i think that's the evidence that malfoy is super intelligent is he restores the vanishing cabinet Mm -hmm. he repairs it 
And that is, to me, really important magic that never really gets addressed or credited. Well, I guess Dumbledore does credit him for it, but yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, we just have different viewpoints on that. Okay. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I definitely think that Malfoy, I don't even have any notes on the Malfoy bit of this chapter. And most of my notes are from earlier in the chapter, but it seems like it's really important since that's where the chapter ends to start with that. So what else did you have in this chapter? Uh, Sure. So I think the first thing I noticed, and I think the more that we get to know in this, this book, Harry gets to have more of a relationship with Dumbledore. And it just makes me feel the first part of the chapter, it literally... Harry says he felt bolstered, comforted, and now he felt slightly abandoned because Dumbledore had basically left the castle and not told him. And I just feel bad for Harry. Like, he wants all these relationships, especially with male figures. He seems to really crave that. And people just keep letting him down. Um, And that just, I just, that sentence alone just made me feel so bad for him because he's a teenage boy. He's going through all this stuff. He's expected to be smart, expected to know, you know, be on his toes at all Mm times. There's just such high expectations and pressure on him. And people, you know, obviously Dumbledore regrets what he did. He's trying to keep, he's trying to tell him information at a slow basis and not always keep him in the loop, which just makes Harry feel lonely. He get he feels good. He feels good. And then he's like lonely. And then he feels, oh, Dumbledore loves me. Someone loves me. Oh, no, never mind. You know, like, geez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every time he gets connected to an authority figure or a parent-like figure, they are not close to him. Mm-hmm. And Dumbledore has been like that all along. He's never let himself yeah. get too close to Harry. Yeah, I thought that was really sad. What about you? What's something you caught? So the first thing I had actually in this chapter is I'm, I've been flipping back in my pages trying to find which chapter it's in is the section where Harry has been testing out spells from the prince's book from the prince's copy of advanced potion making mm-hmm. in particular thinking about that chapter that we discussed I it was several episodes ago which is why I can't remember where it was how James and Sirius are kind of bullies mm-hmm. and Snape wants people to rec- and recognize that and then how Harry is kind of doing the same thing here where he's using these spells and he's doing them on unsuspecting people and shockingly not getting in trouble which is very much in line with James and Sirius. And again, I'm like, I agree with Snape that this is not a good way to treat other people. Yep, I wrote that down too. I didn't, I did not like that. I, I, I liked at first that Harry was like into a book and he was like relating to Snape, teenage Snape. And I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. But then at second, I was like, man, he's a bully. He's literally making freaking Filch's tongue stick to the roof of Filch's. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, come on. I know Filch, like, he can suck, right? But, like, really? Like, I'm a, I feel I feel more bad for Filch than I do anything. And you're literally... He is bullying him. And I just... Yeah. I, yeah, I don't... I didn't love that either. And I thought that was kind of interesting that Gryffindors seem to get away with that sort of thing. And maybe Slytherins do, too. Maybe the kids just get away with it in general because hard to keep them in line. But, yeah, no, he's definitely a bully. So do you think Snape created those spells as a way to prevent the bullying or do you think he was bullying too and through his eyes he's a victim but really he was also a bully so actually i don't think snape invented most of the spells that are in the book that's what i actually got from the next basically the next paragraph when it says the prince had had trouble figuring out a spell and it was levocorpus because no he never heard anyone say it so he didn't i don't think he invents these spells Mm. i think he's documenting them and so i'm not sure that I'm not saying that the prince slash Snape isn't a good wizard, but that maybe not everything in the book is invented by the prince. It's it's actually a record of his experiences and the spells he's encountering. And some of them I'm sure he invented because it seems that you can invent spells. But he, to me, it's pretty clear he didn't invent Levicorpus. He was trying to figure out what it was that was being used on him so that he could then use it himself if he needed to. Oh my God, that's so sad. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it's pretty, I, I have a lot more sympathy for Snape reading it as closely as we've been reading it now than I have ever in the past, because it's very clear that he is a very troubled man, and it was because of his childhood and his adolescence, which includes these spells probably being used on him, and then him being like, well, I'm never going to forget that one, let me write it in my book. Yeah. Well, and he has the counter spell to it, so mm-hmm. if he needed it, he could get himself down. Exactly, and that might be, he maybe he invents the counter charm because he's so tired of having it used against him so mean like jeez i just picture him like upside down like can you imagine if a bully could literally put you upside down i mean i guess they could but like the way that they do it you know what i mean and everything falls out of your pockets and everyone's laughing at you that's so sad mm-hmm. and you're to going back to our recent episode about pants versus pants your robes flip up over your head and you're presumably i mean in the movies they're wearing a uniform under their robes but i think it's more clear in the books that they don't necessarily do that in the books they just have their undergarments on and so everyone gets yeah it's like it's mortifying it's it's traumatizing for sure absolutely mm. Well, the last thing that I have in this chapter is the encounter not between Harry and Mundungus. I actually think I, when I read this this time and I caught what I'm about to talk about, I think Mundungus's appearance is a distraction. I've been reading a lot of mystery books on the side and I catch now when a little gem is dropped and then immediately afterward another gem is dropped to like distract you from the first piece of information you're supposed to be paying attention to potentially, because what happens right before Harry meets Mundungus is that we see Aberforth meeting with Mundungus. And I wondered, is this when Aberforth buys the mirror? Oh. We know that Aberforth and Mundungus do a little business together, but this is the one time we see them actually meet. And it reads, as Harry, Ron, and Hermione drew closer, the barman drew his cloak more tightly around his neck and walked away, leaving the shorter man to fumble with something in his arms. I don't, can't know that for sure, obviously, but it seems like it's a contender and you get immediately distracted by the fact that Mundungus has been nicking all of Sirius' stuff and don't realize that you've been given the seed of information that Aberforth has been dealing with Mundungus too, and he's the one who has the mirror. Wow, that was a very good catch. It's because I'm reading mysteries. I'm looking for clues in everything I read. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I imagine that's what it was. I mean... It would make sense. That's a that's a very good uh, Easter egg that she put in there. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. So that was the last thing I had. Do you have anything else? Just a few character things that I noticed. You know, I'm watching Ron because I want to like Ron a little bit more. And he really is, you wouldn't think he is, but for the most part, Ron is very even-tempered. And maybe that's because he's had, you know, so many brothers who probably picked on him and made fun of him. And he's he just has learned to be a good sport. And he's more of a middle child, youngest middle, and he's learned to probably be a little bit of a mediator, which he is between Hermione and Harry, which we've talked about. But first thing, I mean, his best friend literally wakes him up, trying a spell on him, which he does not know what will happen. And he just (laughs) ends up cracking up and telling the joke to Hermione, thinking it's the funniest thing in the world. You know, where he could have got mad at him. Then whenever Hermione doesn't like that Harry's using the book, obviously, but Harry starts to talk about his dad, And Hermione says something against what he's talking about. And Ron immediately stands up for Harry and his father because he knows that would be a sore subject. But, and so I love that part of him. However, he's not just partial to Harry. He is partial to what he believes is the truth. Because whenever Harry um, is being too obtuse about Malfoy, which turns out to be true. However, he sides with Hermione. Because at one point it says Harry could see Hermione and Ron kind of making eyes at each other. Like, oh God, he's crazy, you know? And... And so I just, I don't know. I do love that he is, um, 
He's not afraid to stand up for his friends and he is very chill most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this beautiful balance between mm-hmm. the three of them that kind of, it's like they dance in terms of who's the most intense and who is the most irrational about a th- thing, you know, and they kind of can balance each other out by having all three of them. And it doesn't work the same when any of them are fighting. Like we've covered Ron and Hermione fighting later this book or when Ron leaves them in Deathly Hollows, It doesn't work as well because they can't all balance each other. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was cool. So that's what I caught. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I have not been catching as much about Ron. I do, I think we'll get more into it as we talk more, As because I'm remembering we go toward Slughorn and his slug club on the train and all that. So I think we'll talk, there's more Ron stuff that's going to be going on beneath the surface with that. But anyway, yeah, very good observation. I like that. Thank you. Yeah, well, cool. Well, this was fun. Yeah. This is like a, we're going to hit it right. We're going to like hit, thread the needle on the timing. We finally have one where we're going to be exactly 20 minutes. So <laughs> thank you everyone for joining us. This has never happened before. Perfect amount of content. Not too much, not too little. We're like Goldilocks today. We appreciate you joining us. As usual, we want to remind you to grab your muggle wand, aka smartphone, head into your podcast player. Make sure you're subscribed, first of all. That is the most important thing. We have not been saying that, but it is super important that you're subscribed to the show so that every time there's a new episode, it gets delivered to you automatically. So first check and make sure you're subscribed. That might be the little plus symbol up in Apple. It might be a follow button in Spotify, whatever you're listening on. And then if you're feeling really generous with your time, head over and give us a rating and review, preferably five stars, but whatever you're feeling, whatever you feel we've earned, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Uh, As we're recording this, we actually just crossed 1,500 total downloads for the podcast, which doesn't sound like much, and there are much bigger podcasts out there, but it is important. It is 1,500 people, more or less, who've spent time with us, and we appreciate that. So thank you. One more thing. You can find us on social media. We've been super active as we've been releasing new episodes. We would love for you to come over and follow us there as well. Once you confirm you've subscribed to the podcast, head to your favorite social media channel because we are on several. Right, Brie? Yeah. Bell Jar Pod. We are on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Uh, Feel free to give us a follow. Give us a share. Whatever you'd like. Uh, Share it with a friend. What friend should they share it with? Good question. How about somebody who... I don't know, has a silver opal jewelry. And there's a lot of people out there with that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Okay. That's the name of the chapter. Yes. So I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm looking right at it. We'll <laughs> just go with that. So yeah, if you are, uh, if you are into silver or opal, or you know someone who is, grab a share link, pop them over the podcast and see if they like it too. And then you'll have someone to talk with about it. Love that. Perfect. Cool. Well, we will see you very soon for a new episode. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project and is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.